One of my favorite quotes of all time is from, of, of all places, The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien. He says that he that breaks a thing to find out what it is has left the path of wisdom. And, and that is so important to remember. So when you take that cell out of the body, you are taking it out of its, its home, its, its, its system on which it has its value. And when you take it out of that system or you, and you kill it, then you break the pattern of life that it belonged to, and, you, and therefore you destroy it. That's Judith Shamash, my guest for today's Turning Season conversation. She's involved in the great turning toward a life-sustaining human society through her work in herbal medicine. She's been practicing since 1994 and has a new book out called The Physics and Poetry of Eastern Herbal Medicine, How Modern Physics Validates Eastern Medicine, which we'll talk about quite a bit in the conversation you're about to hear. This conversation was exciting for me because holistic medicine is where I most intimately am connected with the great turning in a daily life kind of way, in a person-to-person kind of way, in my own practice as an acupuncturist and herbalist. And although I haven't been doing a lot of integrative medicine recently in terms of working across medical fields, Judith's passion for shifting and expanding the way practitioners also of conventional medicine can engage with their patients in a holistic way, in a whole person kind of way, really lights me up as well. I really love and respect the hearts of the people who are drawn to medicine because they want to help ease suffering. So whatever kind of medicine someone goes into, whether it's Chinese medicine, another approach to herbalism, whether they have an MD after their name or do physical therapy, I think we all have a lot in common in wanting to help people. And what's so cool to me about Judith's work is that she's trained in the ancient wisdom, the ancient ways of understanding and explaining how a body works and how a body heals and how herbs can play a role in that, and in modern physics and systems thinking and these more recent intellectual ways of conceiving health and well-being and even the nature of reality, as well as how multiple pieces of a system are constantly always interacting and adapting in response to these different feedback loops. So this is, to me, a truly holistic way of looking at the human body as well as the human being within the greater ecological being. So we do talk about systems thinking throughout this conversation, and that's a big part of how Judith explains what Eastern medicine, Eastern herbal medicine is doing that can be so different from other approaches to healing. This subject, this broader conversation around how medicine can really serve a life-sustaining society means a lot to me. So chime in if you want to leave a comment on the show notes at turningseason.com slash episode 11, or if you want to send me a message through the contact form or comment on a social media post, however you want to chime in, I would love to deepen and broaden this conversation. I wanted to add a couple of things about some terminology that we use before we get started and let you know some resources that I've added to the Turning Season webpage before we jump into the conversation. So one is this term suppress, 
which Judith uses to refer to how a lot of Western medicine handles illness, suppressing symptoms. And I know some of you will think about treatments that you've had within conventional Western medicine that aren't just suppressing something, they've actually been resolving something. And so suppressing symptoms is not the only thing that conventional Western biomedicine does, but it is a major way disease is addressed. I think we use that word a lot in holistic medicine. It gets used in homeopathic medicine, referring to things like taking a painkiller for a headache or taking an antihistamine for allergies, because that just gets rid of the symptom but doesn't address the underlying cause, quiets the body down, as Judith will use the metaphor of violins that are out of tune in an orchestra, quiets that part down but doesn't address why it was making noise or making unpleasant noise to begin with. Sometimes you'll hear the metaphor of hearing a smoke alarm going off and suppressing symptoms is like turning off the smoke alarm as opposed to finding the source of the fire. And this kind of turning off the smoke alarm can be done with pharmaceutical medications, and it can actually also be done with herbs. I think it's the goal of all true healers to be getting to the cause, no matter what type of medicine you're practicing, but that's what we were talking about in terms of suppressing symptoms. The other thing I thought it might be helpful to add something about is Judith will talk about climates and how cold and wet or damp and hot can get stuck in our bodies. So... Something that's been helpful in my thinking and communicating about this is to look at those words like cold or hot or damp as names for a whole group of phenomena. They're not just symbolic. It's not like when we say someone has wind in their body that it's just a symbol for something else, but it does encompass a lot of meanings. So when we say in Chinese medicine, the water organs deal with fear, we mean the water networks or this whole group of functions that link together urination, fear, the bones, the low back, hearing, and classical Chinese medicine wisdom, Eastern medicine traditions include this knowing that these functions are interrelated and a certain type of weakness in the body, like deficiency in the water network, can lead to challenges in any one of these. And that acupuncture points or herbal medicines or foods that we know can strengthen the water network can apply to all of these. So you might hear cold and wet can get stuck in the body and think, no, they can't. But functionally speaking, it's a very helpful way to describe what the person is feeling and the nature of their symptoms and the types of therapies that by their nature will resolve that group of issues that we're describing as cold and wet. Our bodies follow the same natural laws as the ecosystem around us. And so understanding it in that way really empowers us to address all kinds of things. So don't get hung up on the literal meaning of fire or dampness in the body, but let your mind expand to the whole cloud of meanings brought into the room when that word is named, just like the word metabolism or immune system are a whole range of functions. Okay, that concludes my Chinese medicine talk for this episode. I wanted to put some of that out there because I'm aware that there are those of you listening who are very familiar with this way of thinking and those of you who've never encountered it before. So I hope that is helpful. Keep listening to hear more about these ancient ways of knowing and these new eyes of seeing through modern physics and systems thinking. 
and stick around all the way to the end to hear some more practical information about the six tastes, the six flavors, and what they do in our bodies, and maybe get a little insight into how you yourself are eating. And finally, I want to offer you a what can I do in the next five minutes invitation. If you've been listening to the show, you know that I've been asking guests to share what listeners might do if they're feeling inspired or wanting to help in the next few minutes. I didn't directly ask that with Judith, although her whole discussion of the six tastes is a great invitation to notice how you're eating and reflect on how it might be more balanced. I would like to offer an invitation for how you could help by bringing your attention to the Rainforest Information Center. We talk a little bit in this episode about destruction of rainforest. You've heard about it earlier on the show with Sky and Mraz and with Liz Downs. One of my goals with Turning Season Podcast is to have these episodes be a response to the sentiment, nobody cares, or the question, is anybody actually doing anything? And just share with you these doses of active hope that show, yes, thousands of people in thousands of ways are contributing by picking up their own thread and helping us shift. And another goal is to support all of you who care and want to contribute, but aren't sure how or how much to get involved to help you find easy ways to have a positive impact. So I'm going to start highlighting people who could use support for their campaigns or their organizations, especially involved in holding actions, which are actions meant to protect, meant to hold back damage to the earth and all of us beings living here, plants, animals, humans, and also campaigns and organizations devoted to peacemaking. So I'll share with you ways that you could help get the word out or make financial contributions. And right now I want to highlight the Rainforest Information Center who are supporting farmers and indigenous people in Ecuador with legal battles to protect rainforest from mining. If you go to turningseason.com and click on resources, you'll see a link to donate to the Rainforest Information Center's campaign. And you'll also see right now I'm featuring Tree Sisters and the Nonviolent Peace Force. Again, that's turningseason.com and click on resources. Okay, enjoy this conversation with herbalist Judith Schmash. You're listening to Turning Season Podcast. I'm your host, Leilani Navar, here with your dedicated dose of active hope. I'm delighted to bring you these conversations with the inspired individuals who are collectively shifting us to a life-sustaining society. You'll hear from all kinds of healers and change makers playing their unique part in the great turning. From healing personal trauma to visionary thinking, decolonization to building composting toilets, new innovations to bridging social divides, there are thousands of reasons and ways to participate. Keep listening to find out more of what's being done already and what's possible. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening and come to turningseason.com to connect. My guest today is Judith Shamash. Judith is a systems herbalist She has been a clinical practitioner since 1994. She founded the Green Fingers Herbal Medicine Clinic, where she practices Ayurvedic, classical Chinese, and Western herbal medicines and teaches apprentices. She has served on the governing council of the American Herbalists Guild, 
the Arizona Herb Association, and Rainstar University College of Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine. And she's been adjunct faculty of the Southwest College of Naturopathic Medicine. A yoga instructor and a poet, she also was an assistant curator for the Phoenix Art Museum and worked in geology and archaeology. She has a new book titled The Physics and Poetry of Eastern Herbal Medicine, How Modern Physics Validates Eastern Medicine. And this book is described as a timely pioneering exploration of the parallels between modern physics and centuries-old Eastern medicines, all of which are couched in the poetry of everyday experience and how these valuable Eastern disciplines can be successfully integrated into mainstream healthcare. I'm so excited to talk to you about all of this, Judith. Welcome and thank you for joining me. Thank you, Leilani. It's so nice to be here. I'd like to open up our conversation by asking you a question from the work that reconnects that helps us root into who you are and what moves your heart. So my question is, what are some things that you love about being alive on earth? Oh, um, well, I, lo- I just love being alive. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I feel it's a real privilege to be here when you think of all the um, other souls who don't get to be here right now. So being alive is pretty, pretty impressive when you think about the alternatives. And um, of course, it's one of the most beautiful planets I've ever seen. Of course, I've never seen another planet. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, again, being alive is is fabulous, but I'm not really familiar with the alternative either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we can appreciate what we what we have. We know we have what we have. Yeah. Beautiful. And when you look around at what's happening in the world right now, what breaks your heart? I would say the animals, especially the ones used for food, they live in really horrific environments. The animals are sentient beings without a voice. Um, They have feelings and we treat them like commodities, Mm. which I feel is, of course, hugely inhumane. I don't feel we need animals to live healthy lives. We don't need to eat them, rather. In fact, we know that it's the animal products that create our Western diseases that we see in the clinic all the time. Thank you. And knowing these, the, this stretch of your love of just being alive and the pain and seeing the suffering of other living beings, I want to ask you where you find yourself in what Joanna Macy called the three stories of our time. So I'll name those three stories for listeners and then anything you want to share about how you're relating to those or how you're living in one or two or all three of those stories. And these stories are basically views of reality, what we could believe about what's going on right now. And one story is business as usual, which is our industrial growth society and the mainstream culture that most of us are familiar with in terms of how we make our money and the huge importance of making money, how we grow our food and how we treat the animals involved in the food system and the people involved in the food system 
and mainstream medicine, business as usual is what we are still kind of raising a lot of our kids to grow up believing they're going to get their education and plug into the system as it is. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the second one is the great unraveling, which is another way we could look at what's going on, which is essentially that business as usual has taken us to the point of disaster and everything is falling apart. We're losing species. We're destroying whole ecosystems. We're polluting the air. Human beings are suffering great tragedy and trauma and the future looks pretty bleak. And the third story is the great turning. And this is the story that we're in a time of profound transition and that it's an adventure story and we don't quite know what's going to happen, but we're all involved in transitioning to a truly life-sustaining society. Yes. So in terms of business as usual, I, and of course, my expertise is in medicine. So I will address that area of it. Um, so in Western medicine, which was originally designed in the early 1900s, as we know it now, the structure was, it was designed to treat trauma because most people died from trauma. And a lot of people didn't live long enough to develop chronic disease. So that was really not their point when they first designed the structure of it. But now people live longer and acquire the Western diseases because of the Western lifestyle that we have and the diet that we have. So Western medicine has tried valiantly to work with chronic disease, but because they are not trained in that, uh, in chronic disease care um, or prevention for that matter, um, and because it's trauma-based and, and mechanistic approach, they can only suppress the disease because disease to them is a trauma and trauma to them is something that that's how they treat everything as a trauma. So prevention has really no place in Western medicine. However, in Eastern medicine, the disease that the patient has is viewed in the context of the person who has it. It's not separate from the patient at all. We, we see the disease pattern within the patient, but we don't treat the disease, we treat the patient. And the Eastern medicine principles are, are based, therefore, on balancing the body. So we can treat chronic problems in everyday health conditions, not by suppressing them, but by bringing the person's system back into balance, thereby eliminating the disease pattern within that person. Of course, the, the, the main point here is to prevent it in the first place, which then we counsel our clients or patients on proper lifestyle and food guidelines. So, of course, if you're in a car accident, definitely go to a hospital to see a Western doctor. Their trauma treatments are the best and some of the best in the world. But then after they put you back together, you would want to go to a qualified Eastern herbalist to heal and reharmonize your system. I, I say qualified because most herbalists are not, well, herbalists are not all equal um, and a lot of them are poorly trained or trained in treating only symptoms. So in terms of the great unraveling, um, we know that both people and doctors are dissatisfied with Western medicine. 
the doctors because they cannot really help their patients and they really want to help. Um, but they can only help them unless it's a trauma. But of course, most doctors don't see that trauma except in the emergency rooms or hospitals. Um, most doctors see health conditions that are ravaging a person's body. So, um, and the people are fed up with taking the drugs or treatments that make them worse. And really, how did they get there in the first place? So our healthcare system is really a sick care system, as we know. In addition, Western medicine was only structured to create wealth, which goes back to the first point. <laughs> and, and people were originally not the purpose of Western medicine. People are the means to the wealth creation. So most people know uh, and even the doctors know the medical system is is the medical structure. I won't even call it a system is broken. But both people and doctors continue to believe in Western medicine despite that. So um, but there's the cracks in their belief are starting slowly to develop. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so in the great turning. So I feel in order to truly change our civilization, we must learn to think differently. If we keep thinking in that linear mechanistic fashion, we're going to get the same outcome that we have, which is not sustainable. So we must to think, we must learn to think like nature. And nature thinks systemically, that is, in terms of systems thinking. And systems thinking integrates all parts and pieces that make up an ecosystem or a person, which is much more than the sum of its parts. So as opposed to linear thinking that mistakes the parts for the whole, for example, a tree has a value um, in the context of the forest, and then it also has its own intrinsic value. But the forest has a, a hugely impactful effect on the entire ecosystem. So we can't just look at the tree, we need to look at the forest as well as the tree. So it's the same, for example, with a violinist who is not the orchestra, but an integral piece and part of that orchestra that helps create the music that's the symphony. So when you start taking the violinists out or you start taking parts of the horn section out, or you start taking pieces out, then you lose the, the harmony and the, the um, intent of the orchestra to create a symphony. And to me, we're looking for symphony and harmony in our environment, our internal environment, as well as our external environment. So that's my viewpoint in terms of medicine. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the three stories playing out within this one field and being an acupuncturist and herbalist as well. This is the, the place that I most intimately feel like I'm watching the people navigate between business as usual and the great unraveling really, like you spoke to the, the shortcomings of the conventional yes. medical system and, and this great turning and what I'm so curious to hear more from you about is how the ancient wisdom, the ancient 
knowledge about not only how to heal, but really how a human being works, what, what we are and how we function is being seen from another angle through modern physics, because I think that, so in, in the work that reconnects, we have this place on the spiral, this uh, stop along our journey called seeing, it was called seeing with new eyes. And then with respect to the fact that for many humans on earth, it's not just seeing with new eyes, it's actually restoring our ancient eyes to see ourselves as interconnected with other living beings and with past and future generations. So I love that name, seeing with new and ancient eyes. And I love how you're speaking to that from both sides. How are these ancient viewpoints and wisdom traditions giving us what we need to have a more life-sustaining system of medicine and these new eyes from modern physics also shedding light on that. So maybe you could share a little bit about what that's meant for you, why that inspires you to see those connections between the ancient and the modern views. Well, there's an entire chapter in my book that I titled uh, Ancient But Not Obsolete. Uh Um, (laughs) And of course, our ancient medicines have been around, Ayurveda and Chinese medicine have been around for thousands and thousands of years, but has never been integrated into the thinking because it is so um, systems oriented as opposed to linear oriented, which is the way our society is structured. So in a lot of ways, it's very, it's so foreign to people because it's a totally different way of thinking. Although I'm finding more and more people coming around to the system's way of thinking. And and science used to be that way, very linear. Um, You had a definite equation, it had a definite answer, and there was no other variables allowed in that equation. So So science was the Cartesian form, very linear, um, very precise. This is the way it is, and you can't allow any other variables in. Well, now science, modern physics, has found that, indeed, um, it's the variables that make up the answer, (laughs) Mm -hmm. as opposed to just a very simplistic answer. Mm So... um, Indeed, when we go into quantum uh, particles um, and, and try to observe and, and see them, actually, what's there is just a cloud of energy. It's really not substance at all. And it's only substance when we, when we focus on it and determine it is. So basically, we are co-creators. and. And that's what physics is telling us is, hey, you guys, what you, what you want is what you get. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so what you desire is what the outcome will be. So we need to change our outlook from this mechanistic um, seeing things as commodities, seeing things as, as uh, uh, out of their context. And then put them and put them back in their context, and then they have a meaning and a value. So it gets to the point where, gosh, you know, I'm not going to cut down that forest because 
wow, the forest has all these other benefits and all this other meaning and value than the trees that will give me all this money Mm -hmm. in return for cutting it down. So I think what, what modern physics is teaching us is that when it comes to what comes down to is that life in its context has meaning and value, but only in its context. So when we take something out of context, then it has no meaning or value. That's why we can slaughter animals for food and treat them the way we do is because we can take them out of context and say, well, you're just something that I can eventually eat. And as opposed to saying, oh, you're a sentient being. You have feelings. You, you love your little babies. You, want, you have your family. You love your family. And you want to be with your family. So taking things out of context is not, um, it's, it, we can't do that anymore. Not mm-hmm. without destroying ourselves. Yeah. And, and we are seeing that in our environment easily. I mean, the rainforest is being burned down for grazing cattle. Yeah. Why are they grazing cattle? They're grazing cattle so they can slaughter and kill them. I mean, slaughter, slaughter and eat them. Rather, yeah. When it's really not necessary because meat is not a necessary part of our diet. We're used to it. We like it. But that doesn't mean we have to to consume it at the rate that we're doing. Right. And even if we were to consume it at a different rate, the, the means by which we're getting that meat has so right. many other consequences. Absolutely. That I, I, one of the examples you use in your book, which is uh, different, it's a positive example, but talking about the, the reintroduction of wolves in Yellowstone yes. National Park. Yes. You know, we expected that the reintroduction of wolves would mean wolves and that it might be, mean less of the animals they prey upon, right? And that that might have other eventual results, but nobody predicted that because there would be fewer of the animals they were preying on, that certain plants would flourish that had been being grazed on, and that that would actually change the course of a river, which then affects everything downstream from that, right? So, yes, you know, that that example shows us both how every part in the system is affecting every other part. So asking us to respect that. And also for me, there's some hope in that too, because one small change that's pro- flourishing life, it impacts the rest of the system as well. Not that we can always tell. We call that feedback loops, Mm -hmm. which even a very small little thing like introducing a family of wolves into Yellowstone Park, how how it had these huge repercussions. So doing one small thing can have tremendous impact on these feedback loops when you have a system or systems that interconnect, that work together. Mm -hmm. And that's how systems thinking works because it's much more than the sum of its parts, very much more than the sum of its parts. One of the things that I love about Joanna Macy's teachings is how she talks about the feedback loop of our emotions. So the emotion that I hear in your voice when you talk about animals living in such inhumane conditions and being slaughtered and the rainforest being burned 
the emotion that we feel in response to those things is a part of the feedback loop of being living creatures in a shared planetary body. We're supposed to take note of those emotions and let them move us to change something that is not not working well. We're getting some negative feedback here with through our emotional response. And so opening up to those is a is a positive thing for life. And and now in conversation with you, I'm thinking about how that shows up in medicine too. I could not count the number of people who've come to me and said, my doctor didn't even listen to me, or my doctor had five minutes with me. And the way that they feel sad about that, even betrayed or abandoned by that is important feedback too. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons I wrote the book is because Western medicine does need to change. And if I can do my little part in through my book and my, and my work otherwise, um, in changing how um, Western medicine sees their patients, I think the whole world would be at a, be a better place. Mm-hmm. And as, as you know, as a practitioner as well in Eastern medicine, um, we can do what we can do with pulse and tongue and all of that in, in 10 minutes, we, 10 or 15 minutes. But I give my clients a half hour or more, depending on what they need, because they need to be heard. Right. They, they need to be heard. So I make the time to do that for my clients. I don't schedule back-to-back clients every 15 minutes because that devalues my work and it also devalues the person. Yeah. Which we see in the world at large, again, hate to keep bringing it up, but in the, in the food system that we have concerning animals, it, we, we've completely devalued these sentient beings. Mm-hmm. Another moment that I really liked in your book was, I don't have the the quote in front of me, so I won't say it exactly, but you were talking about how to study cells under a microscope, they have to die, or at least they have to be removed from the living system that they were in. And so how could we possibly imagine that we'd be getting the whole picture by looking at this one piece removed from the rest of it? And you have a line about this is why we need to resort to poetry, why my modern physics and ancient Eastern medicines use such poetic language to describe the nature of existence, the nature of a body and how herbs interact with us. And I'm hearing that echoed too in, in a patient, we, even though we can glean a lot from their pulse and their tongue. So for listeners, traditional Chinese medicine, and also I believe Ayurvedic diagnosis, is that right? Uses looking at the patient's tongue. Yes. And feeling their pulse. Tongue and pulse. Absolutely. Yeah. So we can glean a lot of information from that, but we can't just take the pulse and the tongue away from the whole being, the whole human mind, body, spirit sitting in front of us who has a story to tell. Yes. And um, one of my favorite quotes um, of all time um, is from, of of all places, the Lord of the Rings by J. R.R. Tolkien, Uh he says that he that breaks a thing to find out what it is has left the path of wisdom. And and that is, I mean, (laughs) so important to remember. So when you take that cell out of the body, you are taking it out of its, um, its home, its, its 
its system on which it has its value. And when you take it out of that system or you and you kill it, then you break the pattern of life that that it belonged to and you and therefore you destroy it. And and that's but that's how we used to I, I say used to mo that's how the world is has come to think. And obviously that's what's led to all the destruction in what in the world we see around us. Yeah. Um, because they don't have the value um, that that they should have. Another quote by David Bohm, who is a, a brilliant physicist, um, says that science has been affected by a point of view which tries to be value-free. In other words, we don't put any value on a tree or a, an animal or even a person. Um, and he says, this, of course, is mere prejudice. <laughs> yes. Because every piece has value. Every yeah. part has value. And without it, the, the music of that system is, is not the same. It changes the music and it becomes more discordant. Yeah. And to, to think that something doesn't have value is absolutely a value judgment. Like, you know, it's yes. <laughs> like you, you have another quote, uh, I'll look it up for listeners and share it. I don't recall. Maybe you do, but the, a quote from someone saying that our idea that our universe is materialistic and works like clockwork is actually a superstition. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we have no real reason to believe that we should be able to break something to figure out how it works or that one action will always have the same reaction. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Go ahead. So, yeah, I'm just thinking for, for listeners who aren't so familiar with any type of holistic medicine, we've been talking a lot about what we aren't so fond of and breaking it down and trying to isolate different parts. But I wonder if you would talk about something most people can probably relate to. Maybe we could talk about breathing or a headache or period pain, but how would you look at one of these things in a more holistic way, in a whole being and how we're not trying to, let's say, if it's a, a period pain, we're not trying to just think about hormone right. levels on a lab test or something. Right. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I will bring an experience or one of many experiences I've had in my clinic dealing with clients. Um, more recently, I had a client come in with a, a digestive issue um, that appeared after she went to a, a naturopath who, um, because he doesn't understand systems thinking, I suppose, uh, gave, the gave the client some coptis. Coptis is a very cold, cold herb. And it's almost never used by itself. It's always used in combination to avoid side effects. But it's also modified to accommodate the person who we are treating. So th this person came in after taking this coptis for two weeks with this digestive problem. When I took her tongue and pulse, I realized, wow, she's got a lot of cold in her digestive system, cold and damp, that had accumulated there because 
of taking this herb, which he didn't have before, apparently. What was missing in giving her the coptis by itself was the fact that, yes, he was treating her for a lung condition, an infection or infection he thought, infection she thought she had, but you cannot treat just one part of the body. You, you have to consider that when you're treating the lungs, you're also influencing every other part of the body. And that's systems thinking. So we in Eastern medicine never just treat one system of the body because it's an all interrelated, interdependent whole. That would be like, and my favorite um, analogy or metaphor is um, to use an orchestra. An orchestra has many different sections to it. It has the string section. Um, it has the horn section, the percussion section, the woodwind section, and so forth. So one day, you know, the, the orchestra is playing um, a particular symphony, and for some reason, one of the violinists or several violinists go out of tune. And all of a sudden, it affects the entire, entire music, entire symphony, the entire harmony of the system. So Western medicine would go in and not fix or help the violinists get back on tune. The Western doctor or the Western thinking, I don't mean to, to debase doctors because their value is great when you are in a car accident. <laughs> so, um, so the Western thinker would go in and suppress or quiet the violinists, turn down the volume of those violinists, but would never correct the situation, as opposed to an Eastern medicine person who would go in and gently remind the violinists how to get back onto, in tune so that the, the symphony becomes harmonious once more. It becomes a symphony. It becomes music instead of, instead of having this little piece of it that is now discordant. Mm -hmm. So the difference, actually, even Western medicine can go in and, and totally remove those three violinists, which then makes the violin section that much more quiet. Um, and it still doesn't balance the rest of the orchestra. Mm -hmm. So the symphony doesn't have the same harmony and, and value it did before those pieces were removed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like in a, in an orchestra, another, someone on another instrument might hear the violins that are out of tune and, and try to adjust as we do playing music, trying to find yes. the balance. Right. And so then you have other areas that are out of tune that might not be corrected just by removing yeah. the violins or it yeah. it insidiously spreads mm -hmm. until you correct the issue but even if you quiet them so that you can't hear them it's still it's still spreading it's still there yeah and the issue and basically you're suppressing them which is what western medicine does a great example of using poetry and metaphor to to help us understand a broader view, right. Yes. Of, of yes. what's going on medically. Yeah. Yes. Yes, indeed. Yes. Yeah. I was and that's, that's the beauty of Eastern medicine thinking and, and uh, modern physics. 
it's all about poetry. <laughs> I like your example too, of the patient who had these side effects from coctus, because you really can have side effects from herbs. We both know if you, if you take right. an herb that doesn't suit you, that it doesn't suit the patient or the patient's condition, a side effect is just an effect that you didn't mean to have. And, and we can get these negative impacts. And it, it makes me think about how overly simplified some of these conversations can get that herbs are inherently um, safer or because they're natural, they're, it's the better choice, you know, than say a pharmaceutical, which I would lean towards in almost all cases, but nothing is 100%. And, and I think it, this has a correlate in the ecological question too, because I completely agree with you about how animals are treated in the food system and that in many ways, having a plant-based diet is a way to live more lightly on this planet. But something like palm oil, which is an ingredient in a lot of vegan foods and responsible for lots of deforestation. I mean, not the palm oil itself, but you know, the, the uh, farming and extraction is responsible for deforestation and extinction or contributing to extinction of large animals. So if we say, oh, just eat plant-based foods and you'll be helping the environment, it's again, not thinking about the whole system. Exactly. You always yeah. have to go to see how, it, even if that palm oil is being responsibly farmed mm -hmm. um, and, and we, we should be demanding that things like that are. Yeah. And, and this, the same with food, um, corp, uh, our junk food in our system is mainly put out by corporations whose main interest is their bottom line. Yeah. It's not your health. And you have to make the decision to, to choose responsibly and wisely to not only maintain your health, but what is happening with that whole system that creates that junk food. Yeah. <laughs> and like you said, demand, demand better. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah. Absolutely demand better. So since we're, since we're talking so much about food, another thing that I thought might be fun for listeners and maybe applicable for them would be if you could share a little bit about the six tastes, because I know the flavor of food and herbs is so important to how we understand them in Eastern medicine. And you devote a good amount of time to that in your book. So maybe in the realm of food, especially for listeners who aren't herbalists, would you be open to sharing a little bit about what the six tastes are and and uh, how they sure. interact? Sure. Um, well, we have the, um, well, the, the six tastes, uh, I have to back up a little bit, are based on the five phases, uh, also known as the five elements. And once you understand the five phases, you can easily understand the effect of the tastes um, that taste has on the body. So basically the taste imparts the actions of the five phases into the system of the body and influences it in certain ways. So for example, we have the sweet taste. The sweet taste is, is the, the phases involved in the sweet taste are the earth and water phases. And we know earth is heavy, but water is also heavy, but it's also wet. 
So here we have two very heavy elements or phases, I should say, um, that we're consuming. And, and what does that do in our bodies? Well, that makes us more heavy and more wet or damp internally. So um, each of the different flavors or tastes rather have that impact. They also nourish parts of our body, which are important, but in excess, they will create more bulk in the body, sweet flavor will, um, and not necessarily in the way you want it. So that's why eating a lot of sweet creates bulk in our bodies. But the interesting concepts, uh, when you understand what the, the five phases mean in the body, you understand that the, the flavor, the taste of sweet is the predominant taste in, in meat products and animal products. So actually, when we consume and overconsume animal products, we're getting way too much sweet in our diet. So that, so that is one, one taste um, that we can talk about. Mm -hmm. And then there's salty. Salty comprises the two phases um, that comprise salty are fire and water. Fire, we know, is hot and water is wet. So we have that, that combination. Um, again, we need salt in our diet, just like we need sweet in our diet. But we... We, if we get too much of that, what ends up happening is we accumulate too much dampness or wetness in our body, and that can hold a lot of heat. So that can create issues. So hot and wet together, when you have hot and wet together, we call that in Eastern medicine, we call it damp and heat or damp heat. And when you look at that in the environment, damp heat is exemplified in a bog or swamp. Do you want that in your body? I don't think so. <laughs> so too much salty can create that. So then we have another flavor, bitter. We have, we have uh, which is made up of the phases of space and air. So space and air, space is very cold. If you ever went up there, if you could go up there, would be extremely cold and air is very mobile as we know as the wind blows we can't see it but it's there because we can just wave our hands around and we can feel it so those those qualities create a cold and mobile or excess motion in our system which is not always good but we don't get that much bitter in our diet i think um and space and air cold and mobile, they tend to push things or move things in the body. Um, for example, cold and mobile or bitter would counteract an accumulation of salty, which is hot and wet, or would counteract um, the sweet or too much sweet, which is heavy and wet. So we learn to use the, the tastes to counteract different things that are going in, um, different climates. I like to use the idea of climates in the body. So for example, we were just, um, we were talking about cold and mobile and um, um, heavy and wet. So 
if we were to go up to Seattle, for example, and live there for any length of time, that climate is very cold, not very, but it's somewhat cool and very wet. Mm-hmm. But that can accumulate in the body. So just like hot and wet can accumulate, cold and wet can accumulate. Well, if you don't eat the right diet, um, you live a lifestyle that is not your, the best. Um, and we won't go into those details because that, that really gets involved. <laughs> but if you, if you don't take care of yourself and do the right things, then you could have that cold and wet accumulate in your body. And that cold and wet in Eastern medicine can be equivalent, so to speak, to arthritis. And, but fortunately, we have, we don't suppress it in Eastern medicine. We don't just say, oh, let's, let's quiet this down and give you painkillers and all of that stuff. In Eastern medicine, we can actually go in with the right flavors of herbs in the right combination to eliminate that cold and wet. We would use a more pungent, for example, um, herb that would, which would, which is more hot and mobile and, and move that out of the system. So that's some ways, I mean, I can go into the other flavors if you like. (laughs) I feel like that's a great uh, introduction to how we think about the flavors, but yeah, if you want to, if you want to name the others too, and just, I guess I'm imagining people Mm -hmm. uh, wondering how to apply this. And so if you have any advice on, you know, do we want to make sure to get some of each flavor? Is there, yeah, that kind of thing. So technically, according to Ayurveda, you should get all six flavors in your diet every day um, to a greater or lesser degree. So the six flavors are sweet, sour, salty, pungent, bitter, and astringent. So, and they can be used in different ways to influence certain organ systems and or they can be used in certain ways to eliminate conditions in the body that you don't want. So that's how, that's the beauty of Eastern medicine is that we can take things down to the real common denominator of these five phases and then take it to the next level of the tastes and then use the taste to determine the the herbs that we use because every herb and every food by the way has its own hierarchy of of tastes that determine how it's going to affect your body Mm -hmm. but again you have to think not just in one system you have to think in all systems Mm -hmm. so we wouldn't want to just take something that is a cold and like bitter too much cold and bitter is going to affect the digestive system adversely because the digestive system needs heat to digest the food so you need to counteract that with something that is a little bit more warming mm-hmm. so for perhaps um, uh, the salty flavor or perhaps um, the sour flavor which are hot or even the pungent flavor mm-hmm. so that's how we combine herbs in eastern medicine 
and foods. And that's why if you go to an Eastern medicine practitioner, they will advise you on certain or they should be advising you on certain food guidelines Mm -hmm. for your particular condition so that you're not continuing to exacerbate what you've created by having an improper diet or improper lifestyle. Great. Yes. Thank you for explaining that. And I have a feeling some people listening are having little aha moments about the flavors that they tend to eat a lot of, or that they crave maybe that kind of thing. So, yes. Yes. So I will, I will have a link to your book in the show notes and, and for people who want to dive deeper, that is a great place to go. But before we close, I wanted to actually ask you, just invite you to say anything else you want to about the book, who it's for. You mentioned a little bit, your goal of helping medicine move forward in this more truly integrative way of thinking. Is there anything else you can share with us about your goals for the book or your vision there? Well, um, it's not just for the herbalist, um, certainly. And it, um, I'm gearing it more towards people who really want to learn what true health means and looks like. And again, it's not, and it's written in such a way that the layperson can easily understand and appreciate it, as well as the medical professional who wants to learn a better way of working with their patients, uh, or, or even the medical student who wants to learn a better way of working with their prospective patients. So while the title Physics and Poetry can be um, off-putting to some people, Really, truly, it is not. So there are some wonderful reviews on Goodreads, for example. I think there was one by a woman named Nicole who was said she was really, really not looking forward to reading the book. Um, somebody <laughs> suggested it to her. But then when she got into it, she loved it. She absolutely loved it and found she could easily understand it. So it, it's written in, in a very accessible way. Yes, I agree. Yeah. I did that to reach all levels of people, including the scientists, because I personally was trained as a scientist. So I know how they think. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's a good thing to have these multiple languages that you can speak in, thought languages. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Well, great. Yeah. I'll link to the page to the Goodreads page where those reviews are. And Mm -hmm. if I can, to. a a link for purchasing the book through the turning season page on bookshop and where else can people find you online? They can find me under judithshamash.com and that's J-U-D-Y-T-H and the last name is S-H-A-M-O-S-H.com. You can actually purchase a signed copy of my book from me on the website, on my website. Otherwise the books will be in the bookstores and available online uh, starting April 1st. Okay, fantastic. I'm looking forward to sharing that. Thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed hearing everything you had to say. Thank you, Alani. It's a, a pleasure to be here. And thank you for listening. I would love to continue this conversation with you. Come to turningseason.com to connect. And if you have a few minutes and a few dollars and would like to make a contribution, Click on resources and see the organizations I'm highlighting. 
These aren't official partnerships in any way. I simply want to highlight these organizations that I have found and want to support and make it easy for you to do so if you'd like. If you know any organizations or campaigns, small or large, that you'd like me to highlight, let me know. You can leave a comment on this episode at turningseason.com or reach out to me through the contact form. See you next month on The Full Moon. I'm so excited to have upcoming episodes with Megan Westgate of the Non-GMO Project and Adrian Villasenor, longtime facilitator of the work that reconnects, who can speak to the relationship between the global South and North and several more conversations I am so very much looking forward to. Until then, thank you again for listening and for all the ways you play your part.